You are listening to the podcast for Nerdy Christians, where faith meets fandom. Welcome to the show for progressive followers of Jesus who also happen to love Hogwarts, Hobbits, and replacing guns with bananas. Bananas are good. This is Season 6, Episode 1, Are You My Mummy? I'm Adam Thomas, and I'm very happy to be sitting across the internet from Carrie Combs. Hi, Carrie. Hey, Adam. Welcome back. It's been a long time. I know. We've had quite a year. It's been about a year, hasn't it? We started season five around this time last year. And, oh, okay. Yeah, so oh. I think we, we've been on kind of a trajectory of doing our season for the year in the fall and then mm-hmm. not in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think four, five, and six have now all been like that. So maybe that's just oh, our wow. pattern. Well, you would know Adam is the producer of this fine show. And yeah, it has been, it's been a busy year. You've had a lot of things going on at your church and I yep. changed jobs and or settled in a job and my husband found a job. It's been a lot this last yeah, year. Yeah. And my, my wife and I bought a house uh, since mm-hmm. our last season and we, we moved, uh, which I'm still at the same church, but uh, we, we moved and that's been really great. I'm, I'm actually in my new house now down in the basement. Um, for those of you listening, if I sound a little bit under the weather, it's because I'm getting mm. over COVID. I'm, I'm at the tail end of my quarantine period. It hasn't been too bad this time, but uh, a lot of time in my house with my children. And if I sound a little groggy, it's because my caffeine has not yet hit. So we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> no matter when you're listening to us, we're recording in the morning. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, so we have a couple of changes for this season that we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Carrie, why don't you spill the beans? I only know about one change, so maybe you'll fill me in on the others, um, which is that... <laughs> that might be the only one, actually. <laughs> OK, uh, we love doing the book club, reading through Harry Potter, doing deep dives. And then a long way, the long way to a small and great planet was wonderful. But doing the book club is a lot of heavy lifting on top of the prep for the podcast. So we're going to be not doing and also we couldn't really find a book that would top either of those series. Um, they kind of Harry Potter is a cultural zeitgeist, I think, as you would say it. And then we just all wanted, we just wanted you all to read Becky Chambers. Um, And we can't really find another book that would really top that. So we're going to be nixing that, having shorter episodes and having hopefully a little bit less time in prepping so that we can actually fit this into our schedules. Yeah, our schedules are a little busier this year. So we're going to be shortening the episodes. They'll probably be somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes instead of somewhere between 50 minutes and an hour, uh, which also makes it less uh, strenuous for me to to edit them. And uh, the only other uh, change is that we are also not really on social media anymore with the podcast because uh, since the last season, um, I've stopped using Twitter uh, mm. you know, uh, because of the takeover and renaming and all that stuff. So I haven't really, uh, reasserted myself on social media yet, but my website is still there. If you want to buy mm-hmm. my, go see my books and, and so forth. That's great too. Uh, so we've got a bunch of topics for this season that we've put together. Uh, and we are going to start this season talking about Dr. Who, who Carrie and I have loved for a long time but we've never really had an episode just mm-hmm. about doctor who which kind of right, seems like a, a travesty yeah he came up in some of the archetype episodes but that's that's it although i guess just to get this clear at the beginning doctor who's gender we're just they are we going to refer to doctor as they now 
That's a good question. I think, yeah. So each specific iteration as I mean, he spe- or she, yeah, depending on gender? Each specific iteration of, of Doctor Who is gendered. It's true. Okay, um, so I'm going to go with yeah. he because we are talking specifically this week about... Uh, about the Doctors <laughs> uh, 9 and 10 and maybe 11? Yes. Yeah. 9, 10, 11. Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, and Matt Smith. Um, oh, with maybe a little bit into Peter Capaldi. So, maybe, all, yeah. so sorry, Jody. We're not we're not going that far. Yeah. All right. So what is our scripture quote for this time around, Carrie? Our scripture quotation is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 4. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And our quote from Nerd Cannon comes from an episode of Doctor Who called The Doctor's Daughter. This is the 10th Doctor. And uh, Doctor Who has been cloned without his consent. And uh, this young woman uh, is for all intents and purposes, his daughter. And at the end of the episode, she is killed uh, trying to defend him. Doctor Who, enraged, picks up the gun and holds it to the head of his daughter's murderer. And um, David Tennant has an ability to be very scary when he wants to be in his in the way he delivers dialogue. But he pulls the gun away and he says, I never would. Have you got that? I never would. When you start this new world, remember that. Make the foundation of this society a man who never would. So there's a obviously Doctor Who is an enormous topic to talk about, and we're focusing on one element of the canon of Doctor Who. And what's that, Carrie? This is about the Doctor's response to violence, which is kind of one of the seed ideas in this series. Um, I was I was doing a little bit of background research, and I learned that Doctor Who was created as a children's educational program um, teaching science and history, with science being the episodes in the future and history being the episodes in the past. And it was purposely created um, sort of following what they call like British sensibilities, that there's an emphasis on the nonviolent solution as the way that the doctor operates, essentially. Yeah. And this show obviously goes back to the 19, is it 60s? Yeah. Have you ever seen any of those original episodes? I've only ever seen stuff from the 2005 reboot on. Yeah, I think I've seen it once or twice, but I I just doesn't I don't like it as much. Christopher well, yeah, Eccleston is yeah. my first doctor and therefore my doctor. That's so interesting because I started watching it in maybe 2009 or 10. And so I just thought that David Tennant was the first doctor of the reboot. And so I started watching the show and I got really confused because it wasn't David Tennant as the doctor. I had no idea that there was a season before he became the doctor. Short and sweet, but it's it's got two of my favorite episodes in it, which is what we're talking about today. Indeed. Yeah, Carrie definitely uh, focuses focusing us in on a fairly creepy episode of Doctor Who until you get to the end of it. They do such a good job in this episode that we're going to talk about the empty child um, setting up what seems to be a horror story 
which turns into something else. Um, and th- that really is, a, again, a hallmark of Doctor Who and something we want to talk about today is the misunderstood villain. Mm-hmm. But in so many episodes of Doctor Who, what's really happening is not what it's not what seems to be happening at the beginning. Um, you seem to have a villain or some sort of antagonistic force that once we uncover everything about it, by the end of the episode, we realize that it wasn't villainous at all. It was just misunderstood. And that's an important lesson um, in this type this type of storytelling. Absolutely. I think that's one of the critical parts that I like about Doctor Who is that, you know, if we're looking for lessons to be learned as followers of Jesus, he has a real curiosity and empathy and compassion. He's willing to use his brain, not just jump to the easiest conclusion of like, oh, this is a bad person or a bad situation. He's willing to work through all the different angles to be curious, to wonder about it, and then end up identifying the real, you know, the misunderstanding at play or what's actually going on. And in a way that shows the humanity, like if I can guess, can I use that word if we're talking about aliens sometimes, the Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sapience of the <laughs> of the other of the other person, and show you know showing that empathy and compassion are often the way to a peaceful conclusion. The fact that Doctor Who is a nonviolent character means that he has to come up with interesting and intriguing ways of solving problems beyond just sort of punching someone in the face. And so much of our media is centered around big fights happening at the ends of stories. You know, think about literally every Marvel movie. Uh, so to have a character like Doctor Who, who is um, who is dedicated to finding nonviolent solutions, the show revels in its creativity and its problem solving. And I think it's it's definitely complicated with this character because the kind of genesis of this character, right, is that he committed a genocide of his own people in order to, I forget, save something, but that like his origin story is deeply mired in violence and pain. And so this later aversion that we see um, is kind of, I think of it almost as trying to, to live into this identity of the doctor, not, not the master, like we see in other episodes of with another time Lord, but this, doctor, this person who heals, who helps, who shows up and is the calm presence, the clever presence, and who delights in that and does really well in finding those clever solutions. Yeah. The fact that he has that, the horrible tragedy in his own past, which they explore, I think, in some of the Peter Capaldi episodes, but it's never really fully explained. I don't Mm -hmm. think if it is, then i fell asleep during that part. Um, so yeah, Dr. Yeah. Scholars out there who are listening to this, you can educate us on some more of the nuance Sorry. around around what happened in Gallifrey. Um, I can pronounce Raxacorical Palpatorius though, so there you go. What uh, was... I can pronounce <laughs> the Ood. Do I get points for saying Ood appropriately? Uh, no. no. In in the, you know, Raxacorical Palpatorius is a planet in... Uh, in the Christopher Eccleston ones, it's the one where those those guys who have the 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 people suits are from. It's the planet oh, they're yeah. from. Yeah, it's gross, real gross. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and really bad special effects for first season Doctor Who. <laughs> anyway, two thousand five. Yeah, well, you know, we didn't have iPhones yet. 
Yeah, but you go back and you watch Jurassic Park from 1993 and the special effects are amazing. <laughs> so That's true. Dinosaurs are easier than flesh suits. I guess so. Big budget versus small British budget. That's fine. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, so let's let's dig into the episode that we it's really a two-parter the do- the empty child and the doctor dances from the first season of the rebooted doctor who 2005 um so let's just set the stage here and if you haven't seen this episode we are going to spoil it so shut it off and go watch it it's on hbo, HBO max, max right now if you have access to that and probably Britbox. i don't know <clears throat> If you're abroad and you have BBC iPlayer, you can also watch it probably on iPlayer, you lucky jerks. So the Doctor and Rose end up in 1941 during the Blitz in London, and they're tracking this uh, basically a bit of space junk. Uh, they And the Doctor runs into this creepy child wearing a gas mask uh, who's asking him, are you my mummy? He also runs into... Uh, uh, what seems to be a teenage girl who is has a group of street urchins who are uh, eating food in someone's house during an air raid, uh, and they get creeped out by this little child as well, the one who's wearing a gas mask. At the same time, Rose meets Captain Jack, Jack Harkness, uh, played amazingly by John Perriman, uh, who then goes on to be in Torchwood, uh, the TV show spinoff. Uh, and it all comes together at this hospital near the crash site of this um, uh, of this space junk. And all of these patients in the crash site have the exact same look as this child who's calling out, are you my mummy? And down to the scar on this little boy's hand. Um, and over the course of the episode, the doctor works out that what happened was that this down space junk was actually an ambulance from a war-torn uh civilization called the chula and when it crashed it uh it injured and killed this little boy uh, and brought him back to life but he was wearing a gas mask and his and, and he was injured and so the nanogenes these you know science fiction uh, uh healing particles um mistook this little boy's injuries and his gas mask for what a human should look like an ideal human and so they started going around quote unquote fixing everybody they could find and they started looking like this boy and sporting the same injuries um and so what seemed to be this horrible uh this horrible story of of this illness infecting all these people ended up being a mistake by these uh by these particles uh, and that's what the doctor figures out and is able to in the end when nancy this girl who'd been feeding all these kids is able to recognize that this little boy is not her brother but her son the nanogenes recognize nancy's uh dna as his mother and everybody gets fixed by these nanogenes. And the doctor calls out, everybody lives his famous line from that first season. And this is, so this is a classic example of what seems to be a villainous plot or some kind of evil disease or some kind of just annihilation essentially of the human species that turns out to be very misguided helping. And the way to solving it is to find the truth, assert the connection between Nancy and Jamie, the this little boy. And that she, you know, she says to him like, yes, Jamie, I am your mummy. I will always be your mummy. And that's the first time she's ever said that to him. And there's this moment of reunion. And that is what 
that truth, that love that they share, the frankly, the DNA connection is probably the, is the most important thing for the nanogenes. And that's what ends up saving the day. But they don't, the nanogenes don't recognize the DNA connection until she accepts him as her son. Right. And holds him. Yeah. Do you think that he's asking, are you my mummy? Because he's genuinely wondering about that or are the nanogenes like working through him, trying to find another set of DNA to base their work off of? I think he's looking, yeah, I think he's looking for his actual mummy, the the one that he, that, so who would be Nancy's mummy, who probably died in the blitz. That's, that's always been my understanding is that he's looking for, yeah. In his room, there's all these pictures he's drawn at the, at the hospital of, of Nancy, of of a woman with, of a girl with pigtails, which is what Nancy has. So I wonder, like, did he start to figure it out? Yeah. Or oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't that's know. a good question. So it's, it's like a maybe that's a sidebar, but that's like a key idea of the episode. Are you my mummy? Right. Like, why is he asking that? He's looking for his mummy. He's scared. We know that. But then also, who does he does he know that Nancy's his mummy? Yeah, I mean, I think that the line happens specifically because it's really creepy. Oh, you definitely. <laughs> when, <laughs> when it's like when they first mummy, land, when he sort of sing song. Yeah. Mummy coming to find you yeah it's super creepy and the gas mask and all that they do such a good job and you see the you know you see from the vision of the gas mask where it gets all swirly a little bit um it's really set up as a horror story the the tropes they're using the 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 director's using is all horror tropes um so they really want you to think that this is the villain that this is the bad guy um I also think that the the juxtaposition of the violence of the blitz with the nonviolence of the doctor's solution is really interesting. You know, mm. all of this violence is happening around them, but they, but he will not, uh, he will not use violence himself. And I like, I think there's also a theme in this episode of, of what is the future? Nancy and Rose have a moment on the outside of the site of the crash where Rose, you know, says, I'm a time traveler. I'm from the future. I'm from your future. And she and Nancy goes, what future? Like, look around us. This is this is awful. And Rose is able to kind of tell her secretly, don't tell anyone else, but you win this war. There is a future. It doesn't involve occupation. They never end up coming here. You win. And I'm from the city in 50 years time. And here I, you know, here I am British and stiff upper lip and all of that. And then also trying to imagine the future that Jamie will have. It's kind of an offhanded line, but when the doctor is celebrating the the solution for the day, he picks up Jamie, he says, pop music in 20 years time, you'll love it. And just the idea that he's able to imagine a future for this boy who had been dead and that they're able to imagine a future beyond the war. Um, the doctor even says, again, another throwaway line, but he says, and you know, don't forget the welfare state, that there was this period of optimism after the war with pop music and the development of all these social programs in Britain that is so different than the violence and the the hardships that the people endured during World War II. There's a and the doctor, because he's a time traveler and Rose because she's with him, are able to imagine a future beyond this terrible, terrible present. And interestingly enough, the future though goes in cycles because from this episode, we know in the 51st century that Captain Jack has gotten a sonic blaster, something that that is an actual weapon. 
Um, he uses it to blast that square and in, into the door. And um and uh the, the doctor says uh you know Sonic Blaster, 51st century weapons factory of villain guard. And Captain Jack says, You've been to the factories? The doctor says once, and then Jack says, Well, they're gone now, destroyed. Main reactor went critical, vaporized the lot. And the doctor says, like I said, once. There's a and, banana grove there now. Imp- implying that he, that he destroyed the factory, right? Yeah. Bananas are good. I like bananas. Bananas are good. Um, yeah. And and now there's a banana grove there. There's something that's life-giving. Uh, and delicious. Uh, yes. And full good of potassium. Of potassium. <laughs> good source of potassium. <laughs> but again, that goes, that goes to this critical difference between the doctors. So there's a point at which they're trying to hold off the hordes of these empty people coming after them, asking, are you my mummy? And Jack pulls out his sonic blaster square gun. And the doctor's like, oh, I've got a sonic instrument. It's definitely sonic. Don't worry. Like, we'll be <laughs> fine. And then he admits it's a it's a screwdriver. Yeah. It's not a gun. It's not a blaster. It's nothing that can do violence. It can do a lot of things, but I don't think it can hurt anybody unless you jam it up their nose. It's a sonic screwdriver. And that's the thing he uses so often in the show to come up with these clever solutions. Like even in this episode, he tries to get him and Rose out of a locked room by resonating concrete to get weaken the bars or something. something. Like that. He, yeah. he gets distracted and they end up having a moment, but the screwdriver is his signature instrument. Yeah. He, he carries a screwdriver, not a gun. And that's one of the major things that sets Dr. Who apart from other characters. Uh, and even with the sonic blaster, instead of pointing it at the empty people, Rose points it at the floor and shoots them through the floor, right? Um, you know, we, we get, I get down on Rose a lot. She's kind of annoying sometimes, but she is, she can hold her own, especially in this episode, despite being lifted up into the air in the middle of an air raid. <laughs> on the barrage balloon. She does all right balloon. for herself. The barrage balloon. The barrage. <laughs> this, this episode just might be us doing, well, me doing terrible British accents and Adam doing more practiced British accents. So you talked earlier about um, creativity needed for nonviolent solutions because violence is necess- is sort of an, an uncreative way of solving problems, it, often often the easiest solution, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So when the doctor, he, he's, he's sort of cudgeling his brain to figure out what's going on with these people, it would be so much easier just to let the bomb fall on this hospital and 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 just obliterate the disease that way uh but the doctor will not do that he has this ethos of everybody living and that's always his ethos and in this particular instance he's able to achieve it and he does so by playing on captain jack's uh um feelings guilt guilt yeah what kind of feelings i'm not even sure but it works (laughs) It works. Yes, uh, it, it works. Um, that Jack comes in and uses his tractor beam to get the bomb, and and bring it away. Um, so not only does the doctor solve the problem with the nanogenes, he also takes this character in Captain Jack, who is a bit of a, of a bon vivant, who um, is a you know just sort of lives in the moment and doesn't really care about other people or care about consequences. And through his interactions with the doctor, Captain Jack's character changes. Um, in some ways, so that he actually does start caring about others and about the consequences of his actions. Even to the point of, I don't think he intentionally 
when he captures the falling bomb, doesn't know that that is going to be his downfall. But when you, the next scene, he's in his ship, he's trying to jettison this live bomb and he can't, it would detonate if he did that and there's no escape pod. So he, you know, sits back and accepts his fate in a way that I imagine Jack of earlier in the evening would not have accepted. He knows that he's done something. He's saved a lot of lives and that's okay with him. And that's, of course, when he gets rescued by the doctor and Rose. Indeed, because he needs to go off and be part of this spinoff. <laughs> have you ever watched Torchwood? I have not. It's only okay. Is it good? It's only okay. Yeah, that's why I haven't watched it. <laughs> there, It has its moments, but they're, yeah, it's it's an uneven series. My first job out of college was at a cathedral that has a strong history of reconciliation and peace building. So this episode and others like it are kind of close to my heart because so much of my priestly formation was begun in that environment in a city that had been completely, almost completely obliterated by German bombs to the point where the cathedral I worked at was just a ruin that was left standing as a reminder with a new and slightly very modern cathedral right next to it. So they, they were still operational. And this partnership was formed between that city, Coventry, and the city of Dresden, which was also destroyed by British bombs. And the partnership and the exchange between the two cities, creating lifelong partner uh, friendships and mutual work to restore one another's cities, is so important to me and how I view what the work of the church and the, what the work of a priest does, which is to look beyond the immediate conflict, um, even if warfare is deemed necessary. So in the case of the UK fighting off German invasion, who were committing horrible atrocities, that was deemed an appropriate and a just reason for engaging in warfare. There's a limit. And I think the bombing of Dresden was one of the ones that, I mean, if you can read... What was the book by Kurt Vonnegut? Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, uh, Slaughterhouse Five. <clears throat> was Slaughterhouse Five? The fire bombing of Dresden is a main section of Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah. Okay, I was trying to. I was like, it's not. But the fire bombing oh, of Dresden sh- was one of the worst atrocities of World War Two. Right. Yeah. And 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 seen afterwards as maybe quite a bit overkill. Um, and what what I love about the Ministry of Reconciliation is it is like the Doctor identifying the other, seeing the humanity, the inherent worth and dignity of each person, um, not just seeing numbers on a page, but seeing the actual impact we have on one another and working so that to curtail those types of conflicts from happening in the, in the first place, but then also afterwards restoring relationships between one another. Um, the church has a long and complicated history with violence and warfare and our responses to it. And I think it's just gotten more complicated with the advent of remote warfare, where you can press a button and a bomb goes off in a village. Um, and our role as Christians is to be aware of of what what our actions have on each other and trying to not see war as the first option. Um, our God calls us to peace and nonviolence to try to recognize one another as people. And that is some of the most critical parts of Doctor Who. And one of the reasons I love and continue to love this show. It remind, What you just said reminds me of my favorite line from the, the musical Rent. Uh, and that's in the song La Vie Bohème. Uh, they say... 
the opposite of war isn't peace, it's creation. Ooh, I forgot about that. Yeah, and I, I've always loved that because it it reminds us that creativity is so important for us as we try to solve problems. Um, like we said earlier, if your first response to solving a problem is to punch something, then you're never dr- dr- drilling deep enough into the issues to find maybe where there is common ground and to bring people together in the way that the doctor does. Yes, there are villains in Doctor Who that are villains. You know, you have mm-hmm. the Cybermen, you have the 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 Daleks, you have the Weeping Angels, um, who are probably the creepiest villains in all of Doctor Who. But even with, even with those characters, the Doctor never desires to just completely destroy them. He gets pretty close with the Daleks, right? At one point, yeah, he hates Daleks. He really hates the Daleks. Um, but uh, in the end, Doctor Who is really a show about embracing the creativity of problem solving and trying to see in the other something of yourself so that you can figure out how you've been misunderstanding that other and come together for new understanding. So that we can say, just like the doctor says, everybody lives, Rose, everybody lives. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians. Please give us a rating or review on your podcast app of choice so others can discover us too. You can find us at nerdychristians.com. You can also find all nine of Adam's fantasy novels on his website, adamthomas.net. Sign up for his bi-monthly author's newsletter to receive a free PDF of his novella, Highest Stakes, a memoir and manual about my life as a vampire hunter. And as always, you can find both of us right here on the next episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians, where faith meets fandom. May you find reasons to dance for joy or just dance for no reason at all. May your innate curiosity lead your anger down nonviolent paths. And may God grant you the creativity to discover life-giving solutions to the challenges you face. And the blessing of the God who creates all things, loves all things back into right relationship, and breathes new life into all things be with you and remain with you always. Amen.